This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, if you ever wanted to hear about relationships and breakups and friendships that really culminate into rock and roll songs, you need to hear the conversation with Trevor Hurst. Econ Light Crush frontman tells us about his journey back to rock music and the heartbreak that comes at some of the peak moments when you make music. Plus, are you okay with national parks, cheese, bakeries, and somehow ketchup? I don't know how that all comes together. It's all in the Shift Daily Podcast. Turns out there's a place where rock and roll and psychiatric nursing, in fact, meet. And it's with the band Econoline Crush. From the 90s, you probably recognize their music. Uh, Here's a little piece of one of their songs, Sparkle and Shine. Sometimes in life, you get to meet interesting people, and somehow those people stay at the forefront of your mind for a very long time. And my guest right now is um, is one of those people. His name's Trevor Hurst. He's um, oh, he's a rock star, is what he is. But it's an interesting journey to do that um, to get there. Um, Trevor, uh, you might remember the band from the '90s and early 2000s. It was Econoline Crush. And um, so many great songs, Trevor. Like when I listen back to the music, it like there's some music from the '90s, Trevor, that does not stand the test of time, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know the the Econoline songs are um, they really do stand up. Production stands up. Lyrics stand up. You know, even you know uh, just the the basic rock and roll of it um, doesn't sound overly dated. So it's really stood up well. How are you? I'm good, and thank you for saying that. You know, it was, it was so interesting back at the time. And, you know, going back in your career, when you were at CJ, you know, we were going for ads. And I can remember, you know, having very difficult meetings where people were saying, like, I don't know what you're doing here. This isn't a rock band. I don't know what this is. This is like, you know, there's there's sort of these elements of dance music in here or disco or something and i'm like programming yes you know and and it was a <laughs> programming battle. it was a it was a battle and what's interesting is that here we are how many millions of years later you know whatever and the music is still here so it is something that i i think i take a lot of at least yeah, i hate the word pride but i'm i'm very grateful that people stuck with our brand and our sound because i felt mm-hmm. like we were doing the right thing we were just trying to make music that was dynamic and anything that i could add to the song or take away from the song to add dynamics to push the message of the song that's what we did you know mm-hmm. it's true the, the it, song the song was always priority the song if if uh if only they knew at the time because he didn't admit it till later but dave grohl admitted that when he was drummer for nirvana like most of his fills were stolen from funk songs and he's admitted that now. Yeah. But if only at the time people were, if people had heard, oh, by the way, Nirvana was rhythmically based on funk, um, they probably would have looked at some of the bands like Econoline Crush and other ones that were using some sequencing and things in the background, yeah. um, you know, to build uh, probably a little bit differently. Absolutely. And yeah, I saw that interview where he was, and, he, and really, 
I mean, it is like you listen to the fill on the, I forget what record it was, and then you listen to the Nirvana fill, and you're like, holy, yeah. it's the same. Oh, it's exactly <laughs> the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he literally pinched it. Um, it's good stuff. Well, okay, so uh, Econline Crush, uh, you guys are doing some new things. You have new music. Trevor Hurst is here. And the thing that um, I think is really interesting is that you changed your life sort of the day that rock and roll died. I don't know. I'd put it around 2005. Yeah. Uh, right. When this crunchy, crunchy rock really went away, it got burned out. And what we saw was, and I'm not going to put a blame on any bands or anything because it wasn't the band's fault. Um, there was a few bands that made some really, really great rock songs and the whole world picked them up yep. and they burned it out. And so what left that sort of musical pendulum that we always see sort of swung into this folky, rocky, emotive music which to me doesn't feel very econline crush i mean i would i would probably go as far as say trevor you could pull it off and do a very good job at it but it didn't really fit the band no no and like but it was interesting too because the, like i would say even the not 9 11 had a huge impact on the world obviously but a big impact on music because if you remember immediately following 9 11 there was a series of records and songs that could not be played on the radio yeah and um, I remember uh, one band, for example, that I really liked was Jimmy Eat World. They had a, that record called Bleed America. Great yeah. songs on there. But nope. The, the middle, I think, was the hit, right? Yeah. And then, like, Rage yeah. Against the Machine. Can't have that on the radio. Yeah. Can't have all these things. And I thought, incorrectly, but at the time I thought, what I was doing in a Conline Crush was trivial. I didn't I didn't think I didn't realize that we were providing a much needed distraction. I felt like I was providing sort of it just I needed to do more. I, 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 I like I saw this massive amount of suffering and I wanted to do more. And I thought, well, what if I can get to a, a wider audience by doing Americana kind of? And so Ross Childress and I, we went and started writing together. And Ross Childress was just out of the band Collective Soul. And we put together that Hearst project and. You know, I, I ran around the country a bit with that. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it just was, you know, it was a strange reaction on my part to the whole tragedy of 9-11. But it did impact me greatly. And I felt like, okay, I'm going to, like, try and write some, like, earnest sitting on the stoop, you know, kind of songs. Because I felt like, well, you know, like Springsteen or something. Like, how do we, how do I get to more people? How do I get a message out of hope? And, of, and uh, you know, we tried it, went for a while. And, uh, you know, we, I ended up getting back together with the Conline guys and doing a bunch of stuff, but that for me, and then, as you say, like there was this weird moment where rock just became, it was like the hair metal was smashed out by the Nirvanas and the sound gardens. But then there was like this sort of candle box and these things that sort of became a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy yeah. of a copy. And the, and, you know, it got a little thin there for a while. <laughs> well, it got really, yeah, it did. It got really stripped down and it got soft and, and, uh, there was a lot of stuff going on. I'll, I'll never forget that nine 11 day. I was supposed to fly two days later, yeah. um, to cause, uh, Nickelback's album, that big album from Nickelback came out on September 11th. Most people don't know that mm -hmm. they were in Philadelphia that day when that record came out and they were supposed to do a show that night. And I think they did do the show that night. They basically said, look, we can, we can cancel the show and, and do this or or do the show. Like the impact was was crazy. And I remember my dad called me because I was supposed to fly to Chicago a couple days later and, and meet them. And um, my dad said, please don't go. Wow. And I didn't go. 
Wow. Right? I, I was going to join them. I think they were going right down central uh, central U.S. there, down from Chicago to Dallas or something like that. That was the the trip. And um, and but, but my dad asked me not to go. I mean, to your point about the impact on everybody's psyche was massive. I mean, the yep. world clearly changed and what we couldn't couldn't do. I think everybody's tolerance for some things changed, and yep. and it, it did it did fast forward. Okay, so uh, you at the time though, you know, you became a dad, and there was all kinds of real life happening too. Um, you put down the microphone and guitar for a little while. Yeah, I um I got kind of nervous, and I um I felt like okay, I, I was doing some productions and some things. Like music was always around, but it was never like as it wasn't the primary focus. I decided to go back to university, and I, I moved back home to my hometown of of uh, Verdon, Manitoba, and then actually moved right into Brandon, where the university was, and I, I started to uh, get my bachelor of science in psychiatric nursing, and I felt like this would be a good, like as I said, you know, to a lot of people. It wasn't that far removed from rock and roll because you know, there's a lot of mental illness. <laughs> Inside rock and roll, there is. So it probably I, opened your eyes a little bit too about some of the people you'd been around for the last decade or so. And myself, uh, I bet. while I was at university, I I was diagnosed with ADD, and I realized, oh man, that's what's been going on all this time, right? <laughs> Helpful though, hey, to uh, maybe that was part of the journey. I mean, not to put pin purpose on one particular thing, but. You know, to be able to settle that part out must have been pretty good too. It was amazing, but the but the I think the probably the most impactful thing was as you approach graduation, reality sits in. Like, okay, now I am going to be a psychiatric nurse. I am going to work in these facilities, and I am going to encounter people that um, that I'm going to care a lot for. I'm going to I'm I know my personality, and I'm going to be a fighter for them. But what do I do with my myself what do i do with all this stuff mm-hmm. and my final paper in university was on mindfulness because i felt like the only way i was going to get through this was if i learned what was mine to keep what was you know what was the thing what were the things that i wasn't going to own and also you can't go from patient a to patient b without clearing your head Mm. so that you went into patient B with an open mind. Mm. And I struggled with how this was going to work. And we did have courses on, we did tackle mindfulness in university, but I decided to go deeper and kind of did this paper on it. And I felt like that choice has kind of impacted my life throughout because it not only does it impact the way that you practice, uh, you, you know, as a psychiatric nurse, but it's also the way you relate to your family. It's also the way you relate to your, you know, people that you run into. And it's also kind of how you're, you go about tackling your problems, like how, how to solve problems. And, um, I realized that a lot of the stuff that happened to me in, in rock, um, good and bad sometimes was a reaction or because of whatever, instinct and not really being mindful of what to own as my own and what to let go and and emotionally like what you know just you all that stuff that comes with being mindful and so that was a big big huge impact in my growth anyway as as an artist and as a human being uh that's absolutely fascinating how did it feel for you to discover uh, in that mindfulness when you looked back 
um, at the old music, right? The old stuff from the 90s. And we're talking about, you know, the brand new history, the devil, you know, that real Rocky Rock Rock stuff. Um, and I'll give you a phrase that um, I, I really lean into in my mindful writing is, um, you don't know what you don't know, what you already knew all along. And um, at that point, I'm assuming you sort of got to this point where you discovered what you thought you didn't know that you didn't know, but turns out when you look back in the 90s, you kind of already knew it. What was that like for you? It was amazing. And I had some foreshadowing, and this is really cool. Do you remember when there was the storytellers period at MTV where mm -hmm. uh, I think it first started with Ray Davies of the Kinks. He wrote a book, and then he came to the Vogue in, in uh, Vancouver. And he kind of read parts from his book and he had a guitar, just kind of mm -hmm. like. Yeah, that was that spoken word thing that sort of started to kick off with a bunch of rock people, right? Yeah. And so he yeah. goes, he goes, uh, he talks about some of the Kinks songs and he goes, well, I was writing these about my bastard brother, you know, that guy, that guy, you know? Yeah. And then he's like, I realized I was the guy. It wasn't my brother. And yeah. I remember sitting there at that show going, what? And then I look back at like from affliction, wicked. Yeah. And I go, man, I thought that was about somebody else. But my subconscious was talking to me. Yeah, and that projection, hey? Yes. That's exactly what you're doing. And I was like, whoa. Because it, you know, it's something to kind of have your eyes open to how regardless of what maybe your intentions are, your subconscious mind is very powerful. And mm -hmm. it was kind of sending, as you say, sending messages that I didn't know that I already knew. Mm -hmm. And so yet, so I, you know, quite often, uh, you know, mindfulness or manifestation or throw whichever way you want to do, I like to call it listening because the quite often it's already been there all along. Um, we just start listening. Right. And so, but fast forward that, I mean, you've, you've done this, you've got your, um, you know, uh, nursing, um, psych nursing degree, you're, you've got the career, you've moved on, but now here you are again. I mean, you kind of made music all the way through. It's not like you really turned it off, but, um, you are literally living into it full on again. Um, how do you go from the psych nursing and walking away from that part of your life and say, Hey, by the way, um, uh, rock and roll, <laughs> right? Well, it, okay. So I have, um, a very close uh, friend that became a nurse right out of high school. We are half an hour apart in, in when we were born a half an hour apart. And, uh, she suggested my mother had passed from cancer. I was really struggling with grief. And so when I graduated, I didn't get a job right away. I, um, was kind of like, didn't know what to do really. <clears throat> but I knew I didn't fit in, say, in the normal like hospital or acute mental health setting. It, it just seemed like- You couldn't was... do scrubs and Crocs or what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. I just, I guess it's all meant to be, who knows. But she says, they've been looking for somebody to, to work out at uh, Chinupawapka Dakota Nation. And I, uh, I said, are you, really what do you know much about the position and she said i just know they've been looking for a long time and um she goes i know you trevor and i think you could do well there so i went and i um i applied and i got the job and so i was home and community care nurse for uh chinupawapka dakota nation in manitoba in the uh southwest corner of manitoba 
And so I looked after elders, anybody that came out of the hospital with the dressing uh, change that needed to be done daily. I dealt with that uh, dialysis, um, you know, just all kinds of different, different uh, tasks that I had to do. And while I was there, you know, I was pretty much walked into that situation as an atheist. And I was angry that I had lost my mother. I was angry that I wasn't, you know, perhaps playing rock music or at least disappointed a bit like, as much as I wanted to. But then I was like, well, that's kind of something that's fading around in the background. Maybe I don't know. And as I worked there, I made some close connections with elders and uh, members of the community. I went to started going to sweats. Um, I started to follow the culture and eventually elders were saying, like, I never told anyone, this is the other thing. I never told a single person other than my supervisor who never told anyone that I was in a Connelly crush, that I was a singer in a rock band, nothing. And when I had, um, when my mother had passed, um, I think I had a moment subconsciously where I was like, she always wanted me to cut my hair, look, you know, decent, whatever. And so I had been growing my hair long. And when she passed, I think as an act of rebellion, like I was kind of a little pissed that, you know, maybe subconsciously that she left, but I didn't cut my hair. I actually, mm -hmm. today, today is the first day I've cut my hair in a very long time. I was going to say, well, it was pretty wild for a while. Even your haircut now is still pretty wild though. But, still rock and roll but, wild. But so I'm walking into these houses, you know, pale, blonde hair to the middle of my back going, hi, I'm your new nurse. And they'd be like looking around going, what is this some kind of joke? Yeah. And here's my wallet. Get out. Yeah. So we really, <laughs> but I'm telling you, this community embraced me. Obviously I wasn't popular with everyone, you know, not everybody wants a Rashichu nurse, but I, 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 I came in the community. I did my very best and a few people discovered what I'd done before and they kept my secret pretty tight. And eventually it came out. And when one of the elders found out and told the other elders, they kind of pulled me aside when I would come and do my visits to the, like, cause I go from house to house doing vitals and making sure everybody's meds were good and eating good and doing good. And they said, listen, we love having you. We love you as our nurse, but the creator gave you a gift, buddy. And for you to kind of like, just sit on this, you're, doing a disservice to us, to your family, to your community, and to the greater good. You don't have to change the world, Trevor, but you can move this stick one inch closer to the source, one inch closer to the creator. And if we all do that, we'll get there. So God bless you for sitting here, but um, you got to get back into music. And I took that to heart and I said you know what I am going to do this I'm going to risk bankruptcy I'm going to risk everything I've got to put another record out and make music and see if I can affect some positive change and that's what I've been doing ever since I left that community and started back on the path for music that makes you feel feelings so where does that hit you in your heart I can see it in your face. I wish everyone could see your face right now. Um, it it you, does. It, it does. It hits me in my heart because um, these people, they, they live a pretty tough life, man. And uh, for them to say, like, you got to go and do this. You got to leave us and do this. I felt like, holy cow, like, are you sure? And um, 
but as soon as I got back in the studio, as soon as I started writing again, as soon as I started doing what it is that I think that I'm supposed to be doing, it felt right. And I'm still kind of in, in, you know, obviously connected to the community, but still, you know, kind of active in with talking to the chief and, and talking to people and giving advice when I can, if anybody asks. And it's not like it's really advice. It's just I ask questions so that people can kind of think about it maybe from a different point of view. Mm-hmm. But um, I I feel like just that moment that, 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 that it's just sort of overwhelming emotionally for me because it just changed my life. And it was like uh, it was eye opening because really, you know, the way that we look at things as, you know, colonizers in a way is we tend to amass material possessions and nice things. And and that just ain't the Dakota way. It's just not. The Dakota way is, you know, the creator will provide for you every day. You just got to have the faith that that's going to happen. And I kind of dug it. I, I mean, I got to admit that the culture speaks to me and it, it made me realize that, look, you just got to have faith, dude. Just go do it. Just do it. Just do it. Just go, go, go. And don't look back because when I was a kid and we were out in Vancouver, that's what I did. I mean, I walked around all night postering the city and and uh, and talking about our band and trying to write songs all day. And just like it was a, it was like a mission. Like you just, you had nothing else. That was the only thing that you did was just get music out there. And I feel like I've got that fire in my belly again. And it was lit by this community. Our guest right now is Trevor Hurst from the band Econoline Crush on this Music Monday morning, early on a Tuesday. And the storyline of a guy who fronted one of the 90s, most popular Canadian bands, all the shows, all the festivals from so long ago, and his journey that he shared with us in this first chunk that we chatted about, about doing rock and roll and then going back to school to get a degree in psych, uh, psychiatric nursing. It's an amazing story, but then the people he met from that nursing persuaded him to get back into music. And if you don't know the music, kind of sounded like this a little bit for you. And um, so many great songs. You don't know what it's like. All that you are, sparkle and shine, home. And now they're making new music again, too, which is cool. So um, I wanted to continue my conversation of where psychiatric nursing and creating new music and being at one of the peak moments of your reinvented music career. And then what happens? You're at that peak moment. You're living into it. You're ready to celebrate this super fantastic moment. And tragedy strikes. And I'm talking about one of the ugliest tragedies you could ever imagine. Uh, continuing my conversation with Trevor Hurst and Econoline Crush. This is The Shift with Shane Hewitt. That's just stunning. It's um, It brings me to a place where you're inspiring me in my own place right now. One of the promises that I made for myself, um, I just moved. And after my divorce, I had boxes that had never been opened in 10 years. And I, I, every time I went to do laundry, I looked at those boxes and the burden that carried on my shoulders was off the charts. I was constantly reminded of being incomplete, right? And yeah. um, I finally, went, I moved and then I went through those boxes and that was a roller coaster. I, I laughed. I literally sobbed like I had snot falling out of my yeah. face. Like it was a crazy journey. And um, so I... I, I without even consciously doing it, and this is the, the cool work if someone's willing to look in the mirror, metaphorically, if you will, 
is that yeah. I made myself the promise that I wanted less stuff and more people. And that was, that was huge for me, but it's amazing how that breadcrumb runs. Right. Yeah. And the breadcrumb has since in just weeks now led me to this place where I've had this awareness that, well, what if we're not given these gifts to own them? Like they're not ours. We, one way society really looks at this stuff is, you know, I've got the gift of whatever it's mine. Yeah. But what if they don't give them to us for us, right? What if these gifts are given to us to give away and share with the world? We're just sort of the vehicle. And so to, when you talk about it that way, when you talk about the creator and when you talk about that perspective of that faith, which is a beautiful faith, by the way, I, I, I connect with it in so many ways, um, that if your gift you have is not for you, you don't need it. Yeah. It's, you're just the vehicle to share it with the world. And that gift was given to you to give to everybody. And then it takes me back to something that I say on the show. I've been saying it for three years here on The Shift is that the real gift that's given is not me saying things that you might like. The real gift that's given is your listening because I say it once and the audience here, the shift heads listen 25,000 times. Like it gets heard thousands of times, but it's yeah. only said once. So all of these things now have come into context and then you go, Oh, well, if, because we, we say when, like, if you and I were having a personal chat, we'd be like, hey, man, like, this is in front of you. You need to go get this. This is yours. Go get it. Yeah. But we, we can never really, we can always give it away so much more naturally than we can give it to ourselves. And I'm starting to realize that's because we're supposed to give it away. I, I totally think so. And I think, again, going back to that phrase of you knew this before you knew you knew this or whatever, is like when people would say, well, how do you write your lyrics? How do you write your songs? And I go, I... Uh, and and honestly, this is how I, what I used to say was I don't really write them. I'm just there for when they happen. Like, I just have to be open to them happening. I just have to be present. Like, if I'm present and I hear a, a, a chord progression, like, I'll hear it. And then I go, oh, and I can feel that emotion. And the lines come to me. It's not like I, I'm not Bob Dylan or... God bless him, Gordon Lightfoot. I can't sit down and write a song about somebody, you know, doing something. I can't just sit down and write it. I just wait and they come. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. It's just like, I wait, I hear some music and I go, I like that. And then the lyrics and the melody come to me. But I don't feel like I write it. I feel like I just um, am a radio playing it like it came from somewhere and I got the signal and I put it down like mm -hmm. you know because sometimes I write stuff down lyrically and I go wow I like that wonder where that came from you know like you know, yeah, <laughs> right yeah well and that, that does go back to the stuff thing though that this is uh you're just the kid we're just the caretaker of these things we're the caretaker of the world today it's not ours right exactly. Exactly. um and what if you could carry that forward to um, um, even the stuff like you talk about, we could, we could, you could apply this to anything. You could talk about your car. You could talk about your dishes. If you're just the caretaker of it to use it in the meantime, and then make sure that someone else can have, use it down the road, you start taking to carry your stuff differently, right? Like it yeah. literally does break down to everything. Um, 
and and go that way. Okay, uh, Trevor Hurst is here. Econoline Crush. No Quitter is the newest of the things. Um, let's dovetail, uh, since you're channeling the music and the music thoughts, how do we get to No Quitter? Crazy. So I am uh, at working with this producer, Ian Alexander-Smith. He's a singer for a band called The Miniatures. He's a, uh, out of Kitchener. And we've been working on a bunch of songs. It's about three in the morning. And I said, uh, hey, we're, you know, <clears throat> probably going to shut her down pretty soon. Do you have any other music that I could maybe listen to overnight or kind of just live with? And he plays an audio track that he's been working on for a while and didn't fit in with anything that he was working on. And it was the beginning of No Quitter. And it's like that. And I'm like, whoa, 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 stop it right there. And he goes, what? And I go, I'm getting a vibe already. Uh, can I have it? And he goes, okay, well, just let me play it out for you. And I go, uh, but I'm really excited. I think there's something here. And he goes, okay, but here's the deal, dude. And I go, what? And he goes, I have two two or four lines uh, <clears throat> that I want you to keep. And I go, what are they? And he goes, God damn boy, you better get a move on. You can't stay here. You can barely get your shoes on. And I'm like, whoa. And that's not a lyric that would I think typically would have come from my space. So I'm like, wow. Okay, okay. So then I took this song and I got into the headspace of it. And I was thinking about like, so you're 16, 18. And they're like, you're too drunk. Like, get the hell out of our party, man. Like, it's over. Get going, get going, get going. And I was thinking about the bum rush, you know, getting the bum rush, as they used to say back in the day. And mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, so then if you listen to the song, it picks up. Like, so when I start the lyrics, my lyrics start after that. And it goes, it's, you're wasted. It's okay. It's just that kind of day. And you're like, okay. And then I, I, I'm now kind of picking up the pace. I got to get out the door. So you're, uh, you're wasted. It's okay. It's just that kind of night. Spending all my time thinking how I'm going to pay the bank, the bill, the rent, the pills, alimony, sad story, walls are closing in on me. Ah! And it was like, boom. And then you're out the door. And then, ah, I know quitter. And it was like, oh, okay, man, I'm finishing this thing up. And that's kind of how it came to be. And it's that tempo of just, ah out the door and then this ah i'm out here turning it's basically you're turning around and flipping off the house going yeah right but i ain't no quitter and mm -hmm. with zig and the stuff that happened with zig's passing it felt like it fit and i know it's an outlander in terms of it's an outlier in terms of sound sometimes a little bit but it fits within the mosaic of this piece of art that I, you know, we call when the devil drives and it, it was important. And that's why I wanted it to be the first single was because it may not be something that whatever is a single material or however they call it, but it's the first note. It's the first message that I want people to hear from this piece of art or whatever you call it, an album. And it's like, Hey, like I'm not a quitter. I am going to fight until I can't fight anymore for my right to or my desire or this music or whatever to be heard. Like, I want you to hear this stuff because this was given to me and I'm going to share it with you. And I am not going to quit trying to share stuff with you because I feel like this is what these guys told me to do and I'm not going to let them down. And so that's where that impetus comes from for that song. Uh, Ziggy's death, though, um, for you, 
um, inspiring, turned it around, but uh, surprised the rock and roll world, the punk world in particular. Uh, he, he had an accident long ago, like his life had already changed. So, I mean, there is an element of not shocking yeah. um, because because he uh, had those struggles. Um, do you try to channel little Ziggy, uh, a little bit of Ziggy into your music here or, or at least in the thoughts and, and keep him close? Absolutely. Um, he was my guy, my partner in crime. And, uh, I mean, Conline Crush had a lot of guitar players and a lot of different members over the years. It's from 1992. Like this is a long trip. Yeah. He was, he was special, huh? He was special when he was in this, this band called the Scramblers. I went to 86th street and I saw the Scramblers play and, uh, you know, all the guys in the Scramblers are fantastic, but I was like that guy. No, that guy is a rock star. Like I have never seen anybody play their guitar like that guy. And uh, I used to follow him around in Vancouver at parties and go, hey, be in my band, please. Be in my band. We should write songs together. You should be in my band. He'd be like, well, get out of here, you know? And then I finally got him in the band. And, uh, you know, he was just, he's just unique. There's nobody else. There's never going to be anybody else like him. And actually, after he passed, like it's kind of wild. I'll just I'll tell you the story. So we 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 were struggling to kind of find somebody to mix the record because of the way we produced it. It was very like it has a lot of experimental stuff in there. Like I pushed really hard to just again like I, I'm a big believer in David Bowie's sort of process where if you're not on, if you're if you're comfortable making a record, you're doing it wrong. It has to, it has to make you uncomfortable. It has to push your boundaries. It has to be challenging to your listeners or else what am I doing? I'm just like serving up the same old bland Velveeta. I'm not doing that. So I got a few mixes back and they were pretty safe from different mixers. And I phoned a friend of mine, Phil Anderson, who runs a studio in Edmonton called Power Sound. And I'm like, Phil, like, I don't know what to do, man. I'm like, I'm, I'm losing it. And I need to have a mixer. And I don't know, like, I need somebody that's really good, but how am I going to pay for him? It's an indie record. And he goes, have you tried Jack? And I said, Jack Joseph Puig? No. How could I afford him? And he goes, but maybe it's not about the money. Why don't you just try? I said, okay. Do you happen to still have his contacts? Because he had brought him up for a clinic or something. He said, yeah. So I sent the songs, and two hours later, I got a phone call. And... uh he wanted to mix it. So we worked it out and he mixed the record. And then he phoned and said, I'm ready for you to come down and listen. Wicked. So for whatever reason, I wouldn't fly. I don't know why, but something in my heart told me don't fly. So I made that, and I love that drive. It's glorious from Manitoba through, you know, Montana, North Dakota, Montana, little hunt, hunt of, hint of Wyoming and then cutting down through Utah across Nevada into California. It was gorgeous. I loved it. Mm -hmm. So I get there in the hotel, lobby call, uh, 1130. And we're going to go listen to the songs at Jack's at noon. And at 1115, the phone rings. And it's Manitoba Public Insurance. And they're going, hey, we found your motor home on the downtown east side. I'm like, oh. Um, did you know it was there? And I said, no, but I'm glad you found it. And she goes, well, you need to report it stolen. And I said, no, I don't need to report it stolen. I don't want to get the uh, driver in trouble. 
I think it's just a slight misunderstanding, you know, or whatever. Uh, let's not, uh, you know, let's not, you know. She goes, well, now, here, here's this number. This is a case number. Here's another number. It's another case number. Here's the number of a police officer. Okay, okay we're over the, okay, is it an impound yard? Yes. Okay, we're all good then. Okay, I got to go. I've got some stuff to do here. And she's like, Mr. Hurst? I'm like, yeah. There was a body in there in the front seat and I hit the floor, man. I hit the floor and I just, I knew who it was and my fucking heart was broken, broken, fucking broken. And then, uh, and I had to go listen to my new record and I walked in and I said, Jack, I've had something really horrible happen, buddy. And uh, I'm going to need a moment. He says, take all the time you need. And I sat there in the studio with him, and we uh, talked about life, all kinds of things. And and then he started, he looked at me and he said, stars don't shine like you do. That's a really interesting lyric for me. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, you must have really loved that girl. And it was a song I'd written for my wife. And I was really like moved by the fact that like a lot of guys, when they mix your record, they sonically, they're just, they don't get into the lyrics. And he got into the lyrics of every song. And so we went through the, for him, poor guy, excruciating process of him playing the songs, me listening and being blown away by the mixes. And then being emotionally crushed because, you know, I'd written a couple of these songs with Zig. He'd played on like four of them. We had, uh, yeah. And then, yeah, it was just, it was one of those days, right? And he, he was such a kind man. Like he was so kind and he was so considerate and he just, he just hung it, hung out with me and he just allowed me to be in my grief. And it was the most, one of the most beautiful things in rock that I've experienced. And the record sounds great. I love it. I went back to Canada after that. And uh, I wrote a song uh, called Locked in Your Stone. And we recorded it and it's on the record. And that one is me kind of venting at Zig for leaving me. Because, like, couldn't get out of it, you know? He was locked. And uh, I love him. And I miss him. And so that, that, was, uh, that was a really tough time. And it, but writing that song kind of, in a way, was cathartic. And it allowed me to grieve and be mad at him in a little bit. Because, you know... It's okay to be mad at somebody when they, no matter if it's dance or whatever, it's just like you're mad at the world, not really at them. It's mm-hmm. just like you're mad because they left. Like, like you're mad because you don't have them anymore. But I know he's in a better place, and I know I do actually have him with me. I know that he's here. I know that he's around me. And well, he uh, was trying to find something for himself too, right? Like, and you would have supported him in that journey as well. Absolutely. And like, 
There was lots of stuff that, you know, when people are going through tough times, they say and do things and we were like brothers. So lots of shit was said and like, it's hard to, to, to live with that sometimes, but I know that he knows that I loved him more than, you know, I really did and still do. He was, he was the first call I made whenever I landed in Vancouver. He was the best hang, you know, he was intelligent beyond anybody that I'd ever met. And it was great to have conversations with him. And he was weird. And I love weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this uh, here, Trevor, is that, you know, when you look at where you were with a Conline Crush in the 90s into today, and then your degree in psych nursing and all of those things, it sounds to me, um, this open hearted version season of you is beautiful. But it's also new to me, right? It's it's, um, it's 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 new, I think, to myself too. To a lot, like it, I don't know if it's because of me having children. I I think it's partially that, and partially the experience at Chinookwapka. But I think you realize at some point, hopefully, most people do that. This journey that we're on is really fleeting, and uh, to put up some facade or to not feel it fully and not allow yourself to be in the moment fully, you're kind of cheating yourself. And like, you know, I used to worry about what other people would think, like you're a grown man and you're crying or whatever in a radio interview, or you're doing this, you're doing that, man, what are people going to think? This is my life. This is my journey. And um, I just want to be me. And if you like it, then like it if you don't it makes you uncomfortable i'm cool i'm sorry i didn't mean to make you uncomfortable but this is my world and maybe by modeling that it's okay to grieve for a friend it's okay to say that i love my friend and i miss him that other people will feel okay to say i love my friend too and i miss him too because like these stereotypes and these boxes that we seem to want to force ourselves into are man-made and man-constructed and they're stupid we are we are not one-dimensional or two-dimensional we're multi-dimensional beings and we you know we just don't fit in boxes that's so true um i think many people are going to feel surprised right now trevor that this is what goes on behind rock and roll and then some people (laughs) yeah but some people are also going to go oh I feel like I understand rock and roll better because the story about Ziggy, um, David Sigmund, by the way, was his his legal name, uh, was uh, just to acknowledge for all the people yeah. that that know him by David, um, that you know th- this is the real life journey that it is right. And uh, Ziggy, it's not the first guy, um, and that has gone through what he's gone through either. So you know, I mean, these are these are the things that go on. These are the inspirations behind it. And for anybody, at this moment, I was walking once and I was dealing with heartbreak, and I, I, I kind of stopped and I went, "Well, what if I'm not alone?" Like, cause I was in this wallowing of like, oh, "I'm alone," and how could you do this to me and leave yeah. me alone? And how could you leave me here? But what if I'm not alone? And uh, that was a, a a whole different moment of where. It starts to take you, and, and I really hear that. I just wanted to add one thing: is that I've learned recently um, with Melanie that that love is not this currency exchange like we often put it in that box, as you described. Um, but love is the space that you gave me, give me to find myself, and that's what love looks like, right? Love looks like giving people the space to to um, 
to find themselves. And then when you get to sit back and observe that, uh, that's where the magic starts. Uh, you want to talk about getting to know somebody. That's where the magic starts. Um, it's remarkable. Trevor Hurst is here. And, you know, I just want to say like you have to understand, like we met 25 years ago, probably. Right. <laughs> like it was it was so long ago. And, and to be able to share in this today is amazing. You're old. <laughs> um, Ooh, yeah. I, I look forward to uh, I look forward to digging into more of this. Thank you for sharing your heart with me. Um, you're not the only grown man crying in this, by the way. I'm right there with you. Um, and um, and if ever you had a reason to listen to the new and the old of all the things of a conline crush that uh, Trevor has done, I, I invite you to do exactly that. I'm lucky. I, I've you know we've had these get this massive gap in time, but I've spent some time with you and I've been able to experience this before. And the the notion that you're now sharing it with the world, um, little less I make up. And, um, when you do it, <laughs> um, it's, it's a beautiful thing, Trevor. And, uh, and I love what you're up to. Thanks, Shane. I mean, it, it, I, it, it, it's a whole lot easier to live your life out loud and authentic than it is to try and put on airs and, and project some image that you think people want to see. What makes us unique is that we are who we are. We are the only you're the only Shane Hewitt and I'm the only Trevor Hurst and you know uh with all our bumps and, and lumps and good things oh, and bad things there's been a lot we here we are right uh and like it's once you realize that 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 hey I'm not that special but I am special because there's only one of me share that shit because like there was some reason for us to be here right there was some reason for us to be part of this whole thing and to be authentic is sure a lot easier than to try and fake it. So from here to the end, it's just like, I'm just going to tell it like it is and play. And believe me, sparkling shine, for example, was written with a heavy heart. We lost Shannon Hoon and it hurt me. And I wanted, you know, hoped, I guess when that song kind of the music came and that the, lyrics started to flow out and I realized kind of what I was getting at. I mean, that's how many years ago, 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now we're doing the same thing. I mean, I was doing it. I knew then what I know now that I didn't know it then, but I did kind of. <laughs> right. It's, it's so at. true, man. The evidence is there. It's so beautiful. Uh, shine by the word is my word of the year. So if I'm not living into shine, I'm not doing it. So <laughs> just so you know, I like that Take word take that full circle for you and a conline crush well uh we can do this for hours so right. let's push pause on this one and let's uh allow some space for everyone to enjoy the music and more of this and um and i do look forward to having you back on again so soon my pleasure and i hope i can come back and we'll yap some more this is the shift podcast Are you, are you, are you, okay, 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 are you okay with, you can chime in too, 877-399-9898, are you okay with, I have no idea where these are going today, by the way, because we have so many great are you okay stories currently in the queue, so it's like a little surprise for me too, are you okay with national parks, national parks, Yes, my favorite in Canada, I haven't been to since I was like 10 years old, and that's Dinosaur. 
provincial park in uh i guess that's technically a provincial park not a national park but you get the idea in Drumheller, surrounded by the hoodoos the uh the cool sand dunes the little mini looking grand canyon and of course dinosaurs and then you get to go to a town that's it based its entire economy on dinosaurs come on it doesn't get much better than that the cool thing about Drumheller is as you drive around town you can basically be like turn right at the stegosaurus exactly if you're lost just look for the giant t-rex yep that's the center and then you'll find it for did you know that that whole area was built on coal mines did you know that like the coal mines were underneath and then they built the town on top of the mines well, i mean economically built on coal mines when you go just south of there oh. down the highway you can see some of the old ones that are there and there's all kinds of coal in and around there and there's actually some old mine tours and mine shafts and some old schools there's some really great museums if you like those um if you like that kind of stuff museums it's it's sort of forgotten everyone goes to you know the uh tyro museum and all that stuff with the dinosaurs but not a lot of people go looking for these little small ones and it's really great if you're ever if you're doing the the summer road trip it's a beautiful place. Okay, so for me, uh, okay, Canada's National Park, Glacier National Park, pretty amazing. You know, in and around Jasper, all that stuff is mind-blowing. Um, there is the Waterton. Got a shout-out to Waterton. Love Waterton. Um, I don't know if I've been to a whole lot. I mean, of course, you go to Yoho. You drive through Yoho and all those things. Yoho. And a bottle of rum. Uh, 877-399-9898. What is the best national park? Get your thoughts on that. There's a bunch of that I don't even know. Um, there's a bunch of Glacier National Parks on the list. That seems weird. Uh, I've never been to the Gwai one, which is uh, on the West Coast, and Bruce Peninsula, nope, Elk Island. That's nice. That's up uh, east of Edmonton, I think, Elk Island. It's not an island <laughs> either. It's in the middle of the prairies, I believe. Uh, yeah, it's in Alberta. It's east of Edmonton. That's the one. Uh, Grasslands Kootenai. There you go. Beers. Ah, the beers. Get some beers at Kootenai. Uh, Thousand Islands National Park. That's the national park I miss the most. What is the national parks that you uh, that you love here in Canada? Okay. Canada has the best parks in the world. I think we can all agree on that one. Yes. Whichever one is your favorite, share it with us. Uh, one of the biggest national parks in the world is down in the States. It's called Yellowstone. Now, despite being a giant volcano, the park is beautiful and home to hundreds of bison, which also make good burgers. Those mm. bison just want to live their lives, but humans get in their way. Have you ever seen a tourist pull over the side of the road to take a picture of a bear? This story is kind of like that, but worse. In this picture, taken in Yellowstone's Lamar Valley, tells a troubling story. And somebody had made a comment that they saw a man pull the calf out thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was saving this calf. Carrie Paulson and Pam Strickland are seasoned park visitors. Both were visiting the park separately on Saturday when they stumbled upon a scene they never hoped to see. The ranger was there. They were trying to reunite the calf with the, the mother. We didn't see the mother when we were there at all. They explain this man, who still hasn't been publicly identified, saw a bison calf struggling in the river as its herd was crossing and tried to help it out of the river. But then the calf was displaying troubling behavior. And we noticed the, the bison calf, the red dog, um, surrounded by, I don't know, probably six people or so who were taking 
pictures with it and petting it. It was going up to cars. Strickland says park rangers arrived and tried to haze the animal back into the herd, but the herd was too far gone, leading rangers to euthanize the calf. Hmm. That's not good. Like You see these photos of people pulling over to the side of the highway and hanging out, and they're like, you know, here's me with a bear. Look at the bears. They're eating. They're going to eat you. Mm-hmm. And it's that's always crazy. The, it's the European tourists, too, that have never seen like animals like that up close. And they're always on the same highway, right? And my dad, I can, I'll never forget. We were driving to Prince George. <laughs> we're driving by, and there's a black, like a black bear on the road. And this van in front of us pulled over, and the driver got out of the car to take a picture. What? And my dad drives by. He's like, get back in the car, you bleeping idiot. He keeps driving. God, your dad and his foul language. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, absolutely. So th- th- this man who did this thing, KRTV News, there, uh, possibly charged with a Class B misdemeanor in the states, f- six months in jail and a five thousand dollars U.S. fine. Now, speaking of leaving animals alone, authorities in Norway have warned residents to avoid contact with a beluga whale. Why? I like beluga whales. Well, yeah, but you know, you, first of all, if you come in contact with a beluga whale, you probably have other problems. Just saying. Hmm. Um, but if you don't have other problems and you're cool with that, they say don't because it's a Russian spy, they believe. It was found with a harness able to carry surveillance surveillance equipment. Now, this beluga has been traveling along Norwegian coast for around four years, but now made its way into inner Oslofjord. Mm-hmm. Oslofjord. Described as densely populated area, the whale's known to follow boats, approach people with its harness discovered by a fisherman, and it was later removed in 2019. So they believe that it was actually trained to go places with cameras so it could spy. It's a spy. Everybody loves belugas. Can't wait for that to be the plot of the next James Bond movie. They're running out of ideas, so James Bond's going to have to go after a Russian spy whale. Hmm. Uh, 877-399-9898. Comments are pouring in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Ryan, Drumheller, and Dinosaur Provincial Park are two different places. Oh, y- yes, of course. I'm aware of this. I just like to package the two of them together. Like, you can't go to Drumheller without going to Dinosaur Provincial Park. Do you know how far away they are? Yeah. Almost, they're, almost two, they're... two hours. I know, drive. but it's part of the whole experience of going to It Drum does Heller. look the same. In all it fairness to Ryan, um, Dinosaur Provincial Park has all the hoodoos. the same as Drumhead mm-hmm. does. So uh, thank you for that. I appreciate the geography lesson. What else we got here? I'm okay with tourists taking pictures of bears. The bears need lots of fresh protein to survive the winter. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> Funny, though. Oh, boy. Are you okay with... Le fromage. Oh, le fromage. I have to make a quite a staggering announcement. At this time, almost every show, I, I have peanut butter and toast. Mm. I did not have peanut butter and toast. I had a poppy seed bagel with cheese whiz on it. And let me tell you, even though it is the most processed, spreadable, fakest cheese money can buy, I savored every single bite of it. It was delicious. It is pretty good. I do like it. I must admit. Although when you talked about processed, I thought you were talking about the bagel. Okay. Uh, are too. you okay with cheese? Yes. I um, 
I, I like cheese. It comes in many different ways. Uh, I've actually taken to, I don't know what you call it. Someone else probably knows. But when you use the tiny little shredder bits on the shredder thing, not the yeah, big yeah. shredder bits, but the tiny mm-hmm. little ones, I like that. I like that. It's it just everything just, it, it's pretty good. I started doing that with my um, my Parmesan. I buy the bricks of Parmesan, good, all the yeah. little pie pieces, right? It's very good. Did you know you can freeze it? Freeze Parmesan? Parmesan. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, it, when you get it, it basically has the same like strength as a brick. Like It takes a chisel to actually get at the cheese, so it would make sense that you could freeze it and just make it even more strong. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, Trucker Dan asks, did you put ketchup on your poppy seed bagel? If it was a bacon, a BLT, I would. Absolutely. You yeah. put ketchup on a BLT? Of course I put ketchup on a BLT. Oh, my God. You yes, need to there's leave. There's tomato in Go. there, and then I can add some extra tomato to the tomato. Dear God, Ryan. <laughs> I hate this. This is like, I, this is, uh, this is the. You don't disappoint me, disappoint me often, but when you do, boy, do you ever. Like, this is one of those moments. You come after me more about my love for ketchup than my horrible monetary <laughs> habits on Lego sneakers, anything like that. No, the one thing people re- remember me for is my love for ketchup. I don't know if this is good. Okay, uh, well, uh, moving on to cheese. You can get cheese in many different ways. Blocks, shredded, melted, wheels, cheese wheels. And it's the last one that, that's really special. A wheel of cheese. I feel like we should have a wheel of cheese here. You're a winner. Did you know that the UK is home to one of the weirdest races in the world? Sidebar. Participants race down a 200-yard long hill chasing a wheel of double Gloucester cheese. And a 19-year-old woman from Nanaimo on the West Coast just won that race, despite the fact that she knocked herself unconscious during the competition. (laughs) 19-year-old Delaney Irving was taking part in the women's event at the annual Cheese Roll near Gloucester, England, chasing a massive wheel of cheese down Cooper's Hill when this happened. Whoa, race officials scrambled to her aid and to shield Delaney from spectators. She was stretchered to the medical tent where she regained consciousness, even recovering enough to give an interview. First question, how are you? I'm good. Now that I remember it, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) You took hell of a tumble. Did I? Yeah, so what do you remember of the race? Um, I remember running and then I hurt my head. And then I woke up in the tent. How does it feel to be the winner? It feels so good. I, it just kind of hit me, but yeah. So the question is, are you going to come back next year and do it again to reclaim your title? I think I will. <laughs> if, I, yeah, if I see around to it, yes. Despite the injuries? Despite the injuries, I think it's worth it. Our next question could have been, hey, what's your name? <laughs> <laughs> Can you count to four and back, please? Uh, Trucker Dan, who's uh, very busy working, clearly. Uh, did you know that people have actually died during that cheese race? I did not know that. Uh, Nighthawk Steve says, catch up on a BLT is good. Good call, Ryan. Thank you, Steve. We're no Jeez. longer friends, Steve. It's nice to have some uh, the annual cheese rolling competition regularly draws thousands of spectators. Funny, nobody brings a helmet. Even as featured in an episode of Netflix's We Are the Champions. It's also notoriously dangerous, generated a multitude of broken bones, sprains, concussions, and a history some people stretches back hundreds of years. Now, Irving isn't the first Canadian to win the event. Toronto's Mark Kitt took it home in 2019. 
As for Irving's plan to defend her title in the 2024 Chiefs role, her mom said she'll accompany her daughter to Gloucester to keep her off the slope. I don't want her to do it again. We'll watch, she said laughing. I'll be restraining her. Oh, mom. That's uh, a little uh, mouth guard and a helmet. You're fine. If you... It's, it's, uh, well, what happens is the same thing as you're a kid and there's a big hill. Let's say you're playing, you know, a ball game on the top of the hill and the ball rolls down the hill and somebody runs after to get it and you lose your footing. You just fall forward. That's what happens to every single person. This isn't really a race. It's a tumble. And whoever tumbles to the bottom first wins. And that's how she won. Although you, there is video up on globalnews.ca. You like, it, I will say, like, if you're squeamish, she, you can see her get knocked out and and ragdoll down the rest of the hill, but she won. Wow! So it's a win. It's a hey, it's a win. Take the W, win. right? The win's Take a win. Take the W. Take a w okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think this is a win, but I'll I'll read it anyway. Ryan, I love ketchup too. Yes. What is happening? I cover bacon with ketchup before frying it and then put it on toast. Denise. Okay, Denise, that might be a bit of a stretch for me. I wouldn't. Well, I mean, is it so different than making sure my bacon cheeseburger has ketchup on it? It's all wrong. I wouldn't try that. Uh, You know how I know I'm a capitalist? I say I'm a capitalist on on the show often. You know how I know that I'm a capitalist? Hmm. You're excited right now talking about ketchup. I am. I'm thinking, can I do a ketchup lovers dating app and monetize it? (laughs) No, you can't. The dating apps are getting too specific, man. Like there's just, there's one for everybody now. Ketchup lovers only. Well, and, uh, and then y'all can go, go live in a place together. You, but that's the difference. That's what happens in my brain right there. I'm like, I bet you we could do a ketchup lovers dating app. Anyway, uh, to be determined. Uh, that's a Shane Hewitt trademark 2023. Don't not steal my idea. And if you do steal it, just give me a little money on the side. Thanks. As Bud Light, Buzz Lightyear would say, that's not running. That's falling with style. Very good. Oh, big time. Plummeting with style, I would actually say in that case. Okay. I can't read that one. I cannot read that. <laughs> How that is terrible. Um. What in the boy? Some text messages are strange. We have opened uh, up a can of worms. Ketchup we have opened up worms. A, a bottle of ketchup. I don't. Okay. Uh, you know, we're just going to do another. Are you okay? And and we'll go yeah. from there. Yeah. Just um, keep moving. Are you okay with bakeries? Bet you Ryan oh. likes to put ketchup in his. Baked no. Goods. Well. No, 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 no. Anything sweet, absolutely not. I don't need to add sweet if it's already croissant? You know, sweet. A Bacon, croissant? Your, yeah, you, like a... You just had your uh, uh, bagel. I did, yeah. Um, if, but, you know, here's the thing, though, is that the bagels were like the co-op, you know, grocery store ones, and they're okay. But I need like a fresh, fresh, properly baked Montreal bagel. It's, it's hard to find here. There's a couple places that do it. Um, but having a good bakery in your community that you can go treat yourself to like a nice extra fresh loaf of bread every now and then or a sweet, oh, like that is the best. Do you know why there are no Montreal bagel places around anymore? It's most likely because this is not Montreal and I and they weren't good a, for you. Yeah, 
but I'm not eating. I dude, I just ate a poppy seed bagel smothered in cheese whiz. I'm not eating it because it's good for me. I'm eating. Yeah, but it the irony is, good. is the bagel's probably worse for you than the cheese whiz. Probably because it's they put maple syrup in it. That's the secret to a Montreal bagel. Okay, uh, another text says you may as well put sugar on your BLT, Ryan, because ketchup is more sugar than it is tomato. Y- yes, I'm. Yes, I'm. I'm aware. Uh, if it makes you feel any better, y- yesterday I made steak and eggs for for dinner, leftover from it. Oh, we had a really nice steak. Don't say that was the tomahawk and, steak. It was two hundred dollars. And, and listen, I did not. I did not put any ketchup anywhere near the steak. I did dip the steak in egg yolk for my poached eggs, which are always cooked perfectly, and that was delicious. But no ketchup was on that plate. Nothing. I'm going to call your father. Uh, anyway, with this story, let's continue. Uh, we love a fresh loaf of bread, the smell of it, the taste of it, um, that fluffy white bread. It's so awesome. Or, uh, you know, and then plus, of course, ketchup on it or cake even and ketchup on it because Ryan likes cake with ketchup. So um, pets, furry friends uh, also like fresh loaves and delicious cake. Even they don't like ketchup on it. Um, so we probably shouldn't eat them. So do our furry friends, even though we really shouldn't eat them. Yes, we should not eat the even furry friends. Even though they shouldn't really. They shouldn't really eat them. Like it, the, yeah. the baked goods are bad for the for the for our, our, for animals. Oh, you know? yeah. Words matter. Uh, bakery staff in Connecticut are doing well after a break broke. After a break broke into bear. their business. It's a bear. It's a bear broke into. <laughs> what happened, man? I was putting together the cheese one, and then right before the show started, I put this one together. But that was probably a bad idea because there, I don't know if you know this, Shane, there was an election today in Alberta, and then I got distracted yeah. by that. And then clearly I didn't put this through the proofread. So, yeah. Um, well, here we are. You just spelled it right in the first place. I, I could have also just That's done a typo. That, but... <laughs> um, ketchup over an over easy egg with cheese, whiz, bacon, sausage, romaine, tomato, a bit of S&P oh, sandwich, yummy breakfast any time of the day. Absolutely. Unbelievable, you people! Glorious, oh, that's incredible. I don't even know you shift heads anymore. What is happening? <laughs> it feels this is like the first time people have actually been supporting my decision. Usually, I get as much hatred, but here we are. Yeah. Uh, okay, bakery staff in Connecticut are doing well after a bear uh, broke into their business and helped himself to an absurd amount of food. It was early Wednesday morning at Taste by Spellbound Bakery in Avon. Maureen Williams had just opened up the back door to load up the transit van with cupcakes for their morning run when a black bear wanders out from behind the dumpsters and goes straight inside. It was a little shocking, a little, you know, the adrenaline was pumping after that one for sure. I walked out of the bakery into the garage with a cake in my hand and walked up the right side of the transit, put the cake in the transit and made a noise. Williams yelled at the bear and scared it off, but it came back three different times before she could shut the garage door. The bear turned around and came towards me and he did what DEP calls a bluff charge where it makes kind of a huffing noise and kind of comes at you a little quicker so at that point i knew i couldn't shut the door he was too close so i backed myself out ran employees walk around from the side of the bakery to try and scare the bear 
but it scared them and then went right back into the garage. It grabbed a container out of the van and dragged it into the back parking lot where it ate more than 60 cupcakes. We made lots of noise to try to get him to go away. And um, one of our bakers got in their car and drove around the back and found him sitting there eating all of our stuff and honked on her horn quite a bit to get him to go away. Finally, he went away. Now, I'd be lying to you if I ever didn't sit down and eat way too many cupcakes. So who am I to judge this bear? I'm not judging. Yep. Uh, WTNH News right there, by the way. The four-footed thief was gone by the time police arrived, and officers from the Connecticut Department of Energy and Environment Protection arrived there as well. No one was injured except for the cupcakes. You can actually see a picture of the aftermath of the bear attack of the cupcakes on Bakery's Instagram page there, too. Um, we'll share that at shiftheads.ca. Ryan will get on it. Uh, no promise about the spelling, though. Okay, so uh, that was weird. Uh, ketchup, ketchup on everything. Ha ha. That's weird, Ryan. If, hey, the people, and by the people, I mean like the six people that texted and said, "Hey, ketchup is actually good." They have spoken, and they have been mm. heard, heard by me. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that makes it real, right there. That evidence. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.